as you said, we are starting part one of our series, Sowing. Um, if you've been around our church for a while, you will have often heard us make reference to this principle and this idea. It is a biblical principle. I will uh, show you the passage of Scripture in a few moments. Um, but I'm not sure that there is any other principle. So outside of grace, outside of the gospel, I'm not sure that there's any other principle that is more significant for us to recognize and respond to in terms of walking in the plan and the purpose that God has for us. Um, I think so often people that discover a relationship with God or, or find out about Christianity or are interested in Christianity often uh, are under the illusion, and I would say the deception, the delusion, that, that salvation is about a, a once-off decision and it's kind of like, uh, you know, hopefully providing some kind of eternal security. Now, there's an element of truth in that, but that is, that is the, the weakest, most watered-down, most short-sighted understanding or definition of what it means to actually follow Jesus, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. That word salvation, the, the, the word that is translated salvation or to be saved in the New Testament is the same word used in the New Testament for being healed or delivered or being made whole. And so my point is that salvation is so much more than just than just being forgiven and, and having some type of, of eternal assurance. That is, the, that is the very, very, very beginning starting point. The rest of the story is that God's plan, God's passion, God's burden for us is that we would grow increasingly in finding healing for all the areas of brokenness and dysfunction and, and hurt, that we would grow increasingly whole, that we would find our security and our identity in Him, that we would discover a purpose that actually brings peace and meaning, that, that, that our relationship with God would become so deeply influential and rooted in our lives that we become people of love and peace and kindness and joy, that we are actually people that, that are people of peace. So when we're, when we're around other people, we are a non-anxious presence. We don't add to anxiety. We don't add to fear. We're actually bringing in joy, and we're bringing in peace. And I'm saying that the most significant principle in the Bible, in my opinion, that helps us move in that direction is this idea of sowing and reaping. Now, the reason that we're focusing on the word sowing is because that's the part that we do. So it is our responsibility to sow. It's God's responsibility for it to grow. Can I say that again? It is our responsibility to sow the right seeds. It is God's responsibility to actually cause them to grow. And we need to avoid two extremes. And again, it's amazing how people can can come to a, some type of a relationship with God and yet follow one of these two extremes. The one extreme which is incredibly dangerous is to think that it's all up to God. So I, so I just abdicate, I step back, I'm lazy, it's all up to Him. The other extreme is equally dangerous where I think it's all up to me. And so, and so I actually push God out of the picture and, and, I, and I just put a Christian spin on self-development. Yet there's this tension of, okay God, what am I supposed to do? And what do I have to trust you to do? Help me to recognize my part in sowing and help me to trust you with what only you can do in terms of the growing. But we have to take appropriate responsibility for our lives. You are currently, right now, experiencing the life. Pick, pick an area of your life, your health, your relationships, your career, your finances. Right now, you and I, are experiencing right now 
the, the harvest of seeds that we've sown in the past. And this time next year, and five years from now, and 10 years from now, you will be experiencing the harvest of the seeds that you sow between now and then. The good news about that is that if you're experiencing a bad harvest, you can out-sow and outlast the bad harvest. That's good news. If, if there's an area where you feel like God has given you a vision, He's, he's given you a picture of, what he, of who He wants you to become or, or what He wants to do in or through you, well then, then the great news is that you can sow towards that. We have appropriate responsibility and we can trust God with the ultimate the ultimate fruition, the ultimate uh, causing these things to grow and to take place. I came across a story um, some time ago about a neurologist who wrote a best-selling book. His name is Dr. Oliver Sacks, and he wrote of a, a lady that he treated as a patient. She came to the hospital when she was 60. At the age of 60, she was handicapped in various forms, partly because she was born blind and with cerebral palsy. Okay, so, so for 60 years, she'd been living with those, um, with those initial challenges, limitations, and handicaps from birth. What was surprising to me is that the more he spoke with her, the more that he realized that she was an incredibly intelligent lady, incredibly well-read, like, like she was eloquent. She, she spoke freely and eloquently, and he could tell that she had read a lot. So he, so he assumed that she could read Braille because she's blind. When he asked her about this, she was, she, he was surprised to find out that she cannot read a single word of Braille. As time went on, so bottom line, people had always read to her. So her family, friends, those close to her had always read to her. As he got to know her more, he realized that not only had she not used her fingers for Braille because her family read for her, but he then discovered that at no point in her life had she done anything with her hands. She had only ever been helped to eat. She'd only ever been helped going to the toilet. She'd only ever been helped being clean. In, in her words, she considered her hands completely useless. Now, as a neurologist, he was surprised because he, he, he wasn't aware of any scenario under which the, the inability to use one's hands had any connection to cerebral palsy. And obviously, it wouldn't be affected by her blindness. And so he tried a little experiment, which might some think are cruel, but which I think in the end was very kind, and he got the nurses to not feed her and to put the food within her grasp until one day the surprising and inevitable thing happened where she actually reached out. She was so hungry and frustrated and irritated and desperate that she actually reached her hand out and for the first time in her life at the age of 60, she actually took a hold of the bagel for herself, held it up to her mouth, and was able to feed herself. Now, hear what I'm saying. On the one hand, it might have seemed cruel. Can you imagine if her family's around and thinking, you're starving her? Ultimately, he was being incredibly kind. She progressed incredibly fast as she discovered a whole new world. Ring that, where's that song from? A whole new world. Aladdin, okay. 
she discovered a whole new world, but it wasn't just, he said it wasn't just like, like a normal person discovering, it was almost like, a, like an artist discovering a whole new world. And not only was she discovering faces for the first time and, and objects for the first time, but she actually started to uh, make things out of clay and became known. Within a year, she became known as the blind sculptress of St. Benedict. Within one year. Peter Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, says, who would have imagined that such a great artist and astonishing person lay hidden within the body of the 60-year-old woman who had not only suffered from multiple physical limitations, but who had also been disabled by those who had thought they were caring for her. Do you know how often in the church we can disable people? How often as a parent or as a friend, we can disable people by doing for them what they can actually do for themselves. Or when we want God to be that same type of overprotective parent or friend, whatever, where we want him to do for us what actually we can do for ourselves. And we handicap ourselves and we allow our muscles to atrophy to where, to where something like hands can just become what she called useless lumps of clay at the end of her arms. Not realizing that a whole new world was open to her if she was only given the chance to use them. He goes on, and I quote in his book, Emotional Healthy Discipleship, Peter Scazzaro, to say, too many people have been babied in their discipleship to the point that they have become nearly disabled spiritually. And I'm telling you that in my experience, I would agree with that 100%. 100%. I don't mean this as a criticism. I, I look at my own life, and I look at the people around me, and I'm thinking, after many, many years and, and walking with, with many people and many other pastors and churches, I'm telling you that it is scary. It terrifies me, like in a healthy sense. It burdens me that people can be somewhat close to Christianity, in other words, exposed to it in church, maybe even having quiet times. Some friends and I were talking yesterday about, about people in our lives that, that we've known that have, that, that like read the Bible through a year, every year, for years, or, 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 or they spend incredible amounts of time reading scripture, but they are completely dysfunctional when it comes to relationships and handling conflict and, and taking responsibility for areas of their lives. And so, and so parts of their lives are blowing up. And I see it again and again and again. And so my only point is to encourage us that we have got appropriate responsibility Yes, it's a challenge, but I want to extend it as an invitation. You have, I believe, from God an invitation in this next season of your life to sow the seeds that God actually wants to bless and bring about a harvest in our lives. You'll often hear me quote Dallas Willard where he says that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. He goes on to say that earning is an attitude. So, so, so if, if, if we think that doing something good is earning God's favor, no, well, that's an attitude and that's wrong. That's against the gospel. But, but grace doesn't take away our responsibility for effort. It takes effort to sow the right seeds. Right, the passage of Scripture that I'm referring to, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 to 9. I'm reading from the New International Version, and it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. In other words, we mock God when we suggest that we can sow seeds but demand a different harvest. Or, or we even mock God in, 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 a, in the healthier sense, not that it's healthy, but, but like in a, in a Christian-y sense, when we doubt God when we're sowing the right seeds. So if we're, if, if we're actually doing what we can, but, 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 we, but we start declaring that God's, God's left me, God's not gonna do his part, we actually mock God 
No, no, God won't be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, so that's our, 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 our human earthly desire, from that flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So it works positively and negatively. And verse nine, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What kind of harvest do you want to see six months from now, a year from now? Some of you are in school, or you're studying, or you're at varsity, or college, whatever the case is. The results that you would like to see at the end of this year are going to be the result of the seeds that you sow. If we're wanting to be in a, in a healthier financial position, it's going to be as a result of the seeds we sow. If you want a more meaningful relationship to be present in your life, it's, going to, it's not going to happen accidentally. It's going to happen because we are intentional. We keep positioning ourselves to sow the right seeds. And so I want to suggest this first part of this short series that we need to start with the end in mind. So if we, if we want to sow the right seeds, well, we need to have an idea of what the right harvest is that we want to experience, right? Now, I wish I could tell you seven quick steps to discovering the perfect vision plan for your life. And go, there are books out there that will help you do that. And some of them may be great. Um, and I'm not actually wanting to diminish that, but, I, but what I do want to suggest is that, is that there's a different part of our lives that I think God wants us to have a vision for that is basically guaranteed, as opposed to other times where maybe it's a dream, and it may be God's will, it may not be God's will. I want to touch for a moment on stuff that's relating to our character. You don't have to pray and fast to find out that God wants you to be a person of character, that God wants you to be reliable, honest, dependable, present, that God wants us to be people of love and joy and peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of self-control. I am convinced that God cares about who before do. And sometimes we can do at the expense of who. So sometimes we can have this, this goal in mind. It might be financial stability. It might be, it might be results at the end of a, of a school year or, or a degree or whatever the case is. It, it might be... It might, it might be any number of things, and, and in order to achieve that, we're willing to sacrifice who God's actually trying to form us into. And make no mistake, that happens in church. That happens in Christian circles, in Christian families, in Christian businesses, where the ends justify the means, and we actually lose what is most important in the pursuit of something that we think may or may not be good. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what kind of man or woman does God want you to be? Maybe you're sitting here and you're a teenager and you're thinking, oh, like, can I answer about being a teenager? Well, don't think about who you are right now. Think about, because by the way, if you're a parent, you're not trying to raise happy boys and girls. You're trying to raise and form and encourage and facilitate healthy men and women. If your, if your sons and daughters are, are sweet boys and girls, but they're 30 and living at home, and have no responsibility and don't contribute and, and are allowed to you know, play video games all day. You are handicapping them. You, forget the devil, you're harming them. I'm not joking. You are robbing them of the responsibility that's actually gonna form the muscles 
Okay, that wasn't meant to be too harsh. All right, so what kind of man or woman do you want to be or does God want you to be? What kind of employee, what kind of student, what kind of friend or colleague or boss or husband or wife or mother or father? It starts, in my opinion, with a vision for goodness. It starts with a vision for character. And I I just happen to have an incredible burden that I think is from God, where where in the church we rediscover a vision and a passion for goodness. What I mean by that is that I think sometimes, without us even meaning to, because so often, if you've been around for, for, for many years, for a couple of decades, you'll know that the pendulum kind of swings in church life. And so for and so, for so many years, there was a lot of legalism in the church, and there, and there was a lot of laws and boxes to tick and, and things that you have to do. And, and so to and so to correctly um, challenge that healthy, appropriate emphasis on grace has come into the church, which I think is important. Grace should never, ever be a stumbling block unless we misunderstand what, what it means. But I think that sometimes without us even meaning to, we can land up excusing a life that is so far less than what God actually desires of us. Now, that doesn't mean that there should be guilt and shame and condemnation. No, no, I wanna just remind you that there's an invitation to goodness. There's an invitation to maturity. There's an invitation to, to a life that is actually a blessing, that is where people are actually grateful to have you in their lives because you are good. I don't mean perfect and I don't mean perfectly righteous. I just mean that you're growing. Like as you look from year to year to year, there is progress in goodness. There is more peace, there is more joy, there is more kindness, there is more generosity. You are harder to offend, you have a thicker skin. You are less sensitive. You're able to handle conflict in a more constructive way, not perfectly, but but we're growing in goodness. Does this make sense? Guys, we need a vision for goodness. The word good, which comes from the the, the word uh, tov, appears, at least in the New Living Translation, in the English Translation, 900 times. Like God cares about goodness. Goodness matters. Now God is incredibly gracious when we fail to be good. But failing to be good and accepting that grace doesn't mean that we just stay there. It means that we try again. And we try again and we try again. We need a vision for goodness. Who before do? Galatians 5 verse 19 to 23 talks about, talks about the fact that there's going to be fruit in our lives. Whether we like it or not, there will be fruit. So, so there will be evidence of whether or not we're following Jesus or whether or not we're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us or whether we are allowing our human nature or the enemy to influence us. It says that when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now sometimes, if you're familiar with this passage, if you're anything like me, you might like scan it. It's like, okay, get to the good stuff. But, but, but I want us to just think for a moment about some of the stuff that is going to be clear in our lives. If we are feeding our sinful nature, things like sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, that's, that, that goes way beyond sexuality. Idolatry. Idolatry goes way beyond worshiping a, a physical idol. That's anything that, anything that has central place in my heart. Sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, Notice that those things are in the same category, like witchcraft and jealousy. He's like, these are gonna be fruits of following our sinful nature. 
So, so side note, for example, you've got to know that whatever you feed grows, whatever you starve dies. So, so for example, if social media is something that feeds jealousy and insecurity, well then, then you, you have a choice to keep sowing into that insecurity and jealousy and, 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 and completely deformed identity, or you can choose to sow differently. Now, it may linger for a long time, outlast the bad harvest. Outbursts of anger. We're living in a climate around the world, politically, of the last few years, and yes, I absolutely think that Donald Trump was a massive catalyst to this, where, where, where anger and ugliness and, and a brutal nastiness and narcissism is actually celebrated in leaders. No, no. Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying that's not gonna lead to life. It may feel good for a moment, you may feel vindicated for a moment, but if you're gonna keep feeding that, it is not gonna lead to life. It's gonna lead to spiritual death. But the Holy Spirit produces or, or forms in us this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is there any more important goal for our lives? Should there be any more important vision for our lives than growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Surely, surely there is, listen, when you die one day, which chances are is gonna happen, there may or may not be a funeral, there may or may not be a, be a, be a memorial service. I've been to many, I've officiated over many. I've never ever heard someone say, man, I wish that he'd spent less time with us. Man, I wish she was less kind. Man, I wish she was less, you know, unselfish. She's always so willing to be present with us. Yes, I wish she'd spend more time at the office. You know, just made, just made a little bit more money. Maybe we could have, you know, bought some extra stuff. Like, I've just, I've just never, ever heard that. It is, it is, I've, now, there are, there, absolutely, there would be funerals and memorials where people celebrate the people's accomplishments, but I'm just telling you, I've never been there. In my life so far, I have never ever attended a funeral or memorial service where people are celebrating the person's achievements. Ever. Ever. They've only ever commented about their character, about who they were to them, how they made them feel, what, what they did in their lives. We are all bearing fruit. We are all sowing. We are all becoming. We are all being formed. The only question is whether or not it's intentional or accidental. In other words, am I a victim? Do I see myself as a victim? Or, am, or do I have agency? Am I taking responsibility? Is it deliberate or am I drifting? And a second question that I would say is equally important is, is it leading to life or is it leading to death? Because over time, please don't miss this, over time, character is formed or deformed. 
Character is constantly being formed or deformed. And, and it is formed or deformed by our daily habits, by the seeds that we sow. David Brooks, in his book, The Second Mountain, who is a, a New York Times uh, journalist, writes that when people make generosity part of their daily routine, they refashion who they are. Can I say that again? When people make generosity part of their daily routine, they refashion who they are. Every action you take, every thought you have changes you, even if just a little, making you a little more elevated or a little more degraded. If you do a series of good deeds, the habit of others-centeredness becomes gradually engraved into your life. It becomes easier to do good deeds. It becomes easier to do good deeds down the line. If you lie or behave callously or cruelly towards someone, your personality degrades and it is easier for you to do something even worse later on. As, as the criminologists say, the people who commit murder don't start there. They have to walk through a lot of doors. In fact, I think I've heard like a cliche of people, like you walk through a thousand doors before you go through that door. They have to walk through a lot of doors before they get to the point where they are, are actually able, where they can take another human life. We are being formed or deformed, and it is the result of the seeds that we are sowing. Seeds would be the things that we feed our minds, things that we feed our bodies, things that we feed into our relationships. Um, the why behind the what, so the why behind the goal of a career, the why behind the goal of education, the why behind what it is that we're living for. We are being formed or deformed. Robert Mulholland, I've quoted him before, de defines discipleship as the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. It is a process. I wish it was a quick fix. I wish there was some silver bullet. It's not. It's a process of being formed. And I believe that we, he argues strongly in his book that, that we cannot change ourselves. We can only position ourselves to be changed. So the habits that we put into place are the habits that actually bring us in contact with God. That's, that's why the series is focusing on practices, places, and people, because these are the things that we're going to look at where, where this is how we position ourselves to be formed by God into the image of Christ for the sake of others. We need to position ourselves for God to form us through practices, places, and people. This is the big idea of not only the series, but the theme for this whole year, where we, where we want to keep looking at practical, life-giving ways for us to actually position ourselves to be formed, that, that, that at the end of the year, or the beginning of next year, there is more life. There's more joy. I can't tell you that you'll have it easier. I can't tell you that, that there'll be no negative medical diagnosis or that there'll be no significant trauma or challenge or financial issue. I can't tell you that, but I can tell you that that even if the circumstances look worse a year from now, which some of you are thinking, please, Jesus, no. But even if the circumstances are, are worse, I promise you, according to the Bible, you can have more peace. You can be more loving. You can be more joyful regardless. So one of the ways that we talk about that or describe that around our church is that we want to order our lives. So if we talk about positioning ourselves, we want to order our lives to be with Jesus because that's gonna to lead to us becoming like Jesus. And then we can't help it. We will do what Jesus would do if he 
were me. If I'm not doing what Jesus would do if he were me, if he were Jason, a, a really healthy, young, good-looking father, you know, three, uh, um, with my responsibilities and limitations, etc. If I'm not doing that, then I have to look at whether or not I'm actually spending time with God in a way that changes where I spend time with people. Am I being formed? Am I seeing more fruit in my life? Philippians 2.13 tells us that God is working in us, giving us the desire and the power to do, power to do what pleases Him. This is obviously referring to Christians. He's writing to a bunch of Christians in the city of Philippi. He's saying, hey, hey, God is working in you. Don't be discouraged. Even if you're going through a challenging season, no, no, God is working in you. He's giving you the desire and the power. In other words, from the inside out, not from the outside in. I was thinking recently about the story of Joseph. I think some of you might be familiar. It's found in the first book of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis from chapter 37 to 50 with a little interlude with a really dodgy character that did something dodgy. But, but it's the story of this teenage boy who was favored. He was spoiled. His dad treated him differently to the rest of his brothers, which, again, big mistake by his father. God, God had a dream for Joseph's life. God had a dream for Joseph's life. There was something in Joseph that had the potential to be used by God to save a nation. But he was a spoiled, perhaps to some extent weak, young man who needed development. Now, many of us would love to send someone with that potential to the best university, expose them to the best internships, and have them trained and coached by the best people. But God's plan was different for Joseph. He allowed him to be subject Subjected to injustice, to rejection, to mistreatment, to being falsely accused, to being falsely imprisoned. And for 13 years, I mean, we have no idea. Like, we genuinely don't know what would have been happening inside of Joseph for 13 years. But we do know that after 13 years, so from 17 to 30, it would appear, it would appear as though he was promoted in a day to where he became the second most powerful person in the world. He became the second most powerful person in Egypt, which was the most powerful nation in the world, and he was able to save the nation of Israel. So now, here's my question to you. Did God promote him in a day? Or was he being formed over 13 years? And why would God respond to our why would God promote you if you won't allow God to form you? So we get excited that we have big dreams. We want to be big people. We want to achieve big things. And, and, and I'm saying even in a Christian context, so often those things can just be just as selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed as, as someone that doesn't have a relationship with God. Now, it may not be. It may, I'm just saying that the only reason that we should be expecting God to promote us is if we are allowing God to form us. Let me ask you this. Do you think that God cared more about who Joseph, or rather, let's put it this way. Do you think that God cared about who Joseph became or what Joseph could do? 
Do you think Joseph, you don't have to answer me, just in your own mind. Do you think God cared about who Joseph became or what Joseph can do? Now, some of you might be realizing it's a bit of a trick question. Because I think that God cared about who Joseph became and what he could do. But the order matters. Because it is that whole idea of who before do. If, if Joseph didn't become who God was trying to form him into, he wouldn't be able to do what God had planned to do in him. So, so who before do, because who leads to do. And the only way for us to do that is to actually position ourselves to being influenced by God. Eugene Peterson said of Joseph, what seems to be the most circuitous path to a career is in fact the most direct path to character. What seems to be the most circuitous path, in other words, like this thing's going all over the place. Like if I was looking at Google Maps, it would look like, like it's malfunctioning because it's just going all over the place. It looks like such a messed up circuitous path for Joseph, but it was the most direct path to character. So, so let's not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Under your seat is a small piece of paper that I want you to take home with you and that I'd like you to give some thought to. Because what, what we want to have as an outcome, not only of the series, but again, throughout this year, we would love to get to a place where part of our discipleship, which is another word for apprenticeship, which is another word for being formed, for allowing God to grow us and mature us, is something that we call, or that has been called for hundreds of years, a rule of life, not as in a bunch of rules, it's a rule which comes from the word regular, which is the same word used for ruler or a trellis. So, so the idea is that, is that our lives have an intentional trellis, an intentional structure that is put up into our lives so that the stuff that grows, we'll have some pictures up in a moment, are not, are not allowed to grow and die on the ground, but rather they actually grow in a very deliberate, intentional path. So again, our lives are growing or, or moving. It's just, are they moving in the direction that God wants them to? Fruit is being formed. It's just, is it life-giving fruit or is it unhealthy fruit? And so the questions that I've simply got there for you is to think through, and I'm trying to make it really simple to begin with, is simply one area of formation that God is inviting me to address. Just one area. It's not, some, it's not an area of shame or condemnation. No, no, just what is one area of formation that God is in? Because it's always an invitation. Remember, morality is commanded, maturity is invited. That's an invitation. Then, one habit that'll position me to be formed in this area. Because again, we have to position ourselves. We can't change ourselves. We position ourselves through places, practices, people to be changed. And then lastly, one habit that is obstructing formation in this area. Maybe there's Ahab. So as, as Rayson and Sue mentioned earlier, what a great opportunity these five days, which is starting tonight, by the way. Ivan and Josh, two of our senior leaders in the church, had no idea starting today. It's starting tonight, 6 p.m., here at the church. And they're my closest friends. I'm like, okay, if you guys don't know this, we're in trouble. Um, so, so as they mentioned, over the five days, why not, why not consider something or a bunch of things that are distractions that you just remove? for a season so that you can focus. But in this case, just what is one habit that is obstructing formation in this area? So I don't want you to, I don't want you to give attention to that right now. I want you to take it home and I want you to think about it. Maybe if you have time this afternoon, maybe you can find some shade under a tree or something. Maybe just give it some thought 
and bring it back with you tonight. But before you go, I wanna just encourage you that sowing does require faith. It does require patience. It does require perseverance. Probably the most significant example of this that I'm aware of at least is about the Chinese bamboo tree. I don't know if you've ever been to Hong Kong, um, we, we got to travel there several years ago on our way to a conference, and I was, I was completely gobsmacked. I was amazed to see all these buildings that had um, scaffolding going up the sides of these sky, and, and none of these pictures that you're about to see do it any justice because it's, it's one of the most significant cities, I think, in the world in terms of all kinds of sky, skyscrapers, but all of the scaffolding that you're gonna see along the skyscrapers around Hong Kong are made of bamboo. So, so they're strong. It's not metal, it's bamboo. They are ridiculously strong. So going back to the Chinese bamboo tree, what is fascinating is that it takes a Chinese bamboo tree roughly at least five years. Gen I mean, I think some might say three years, but, but about five years to actually to actually grow and develop. But here's the problem. Please don't miss this. The farmer or the gardener doesn't see anything for five years. So, so the farmer has to plant it, then, think about this, has to water it and fertilize it. And water it and fertilize it. And water it and fertilize it day in and day out for five years without seeing anything. Like that takes faith. Then, then, a Chinese bamboo tree can go from nothing over five years to 90 feet in five weeks. So someone asked the question once, does it take five weeks for the tree to grow or does it take five years for the tree to grow? It takes five years for the, for the tree to grow to 90 feet. You just happen to see the last five weeks of its development above the ground. But if, apparently, if at any stage during those previous five years you stopped watering and fertilizing, that potential would die. Do you know how many people give up trusting God that He won't be mocked, that we'll reap what we sow, that if we don't grow weary and doing good, we'll reap a harvest in due season because we're not seeing the results of that just yet? It's been three weeks. I think the angels look at God like, have they read the Bible? Like, it takes time. Don't grow weary in doing good. Joseph didn't become a prime minister in a day. He became a prime minister over 30 years. God was able to promote him because Joseph allowed him to form him. Start with the end in mind. Who does God want you to become? And what seeds can we sow that will position us through practices, places, and people that will help us to become people of goodness, people of love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control that will be salt and light that'll be like a city on a hill, that will be refreshing to others, that will be creative, that will be, contr be contributors, not just consumers. 
We will add value to environments. We'll add value at work. We'll add value at home. We'll add value in the community. You'll add value to whatever club you're a part of because you're a person of goodness, because you've allowed God to form you, because you've kept sowing seeds. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would do what only you can do as you reveal to us the practical application. God, as you reveal to us the, the fact that, that you have a dream for us, that it is good, it may not always be according to the world's definition of good, but it is good. If it's from God, it's good. And Father, I pray that you would encourage people that, that are sowing seeds, but that aren't seeing the harvest yet. Help them not to grow weary in doing good. Help them to keep watering and fertilizing day in and day out, day in and day out. Help them to keep positioning themselves in places through practices with the right people that will keep encouraging and reassuring us that we are actually following the path that leads to life. Father, for people that, that might be tuning in or, or sitting here today that are not yet in a relationship with you, I pray that you'd help them to recognize that that is the single most significant first seed that can be sown. To simply accept your invitation to a relationship with you. To accept your free gift of forgiveness and to choose to follow you. Help them to say yes to beginning a relationship, a journey of following you and getting to experience a relationship with you that leads to life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.